Well, let's just thank him a minute. Lord, we just bless you this morning because you're so good and kind to us. Come on, take a minute in prayer and just say, Lord, I thank you for being kind to me. I thank you, Lord, for providing for me, for watching me over me in the storms of life. Lord, for giving me a place to stay last night out of the weather. Lord, for having a car to drive and having people that love me. God, I thank you that I've never faced a day where I'm alone because you're with me. Lord, I've never faced a situation where I'm hopeless, Lord, because you're always my hope. Welcome today, Lord. I don't even know how to say thanks more than that. We just want to say we love you. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And my performance, Lord, is not determining your love for me. I just want to love you back. Let him hear you pray that. Say, Lord, I want to love you back. I don't want to just do a, a, an hour and 20-minute service. I want to live a life that loves you, that honors you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. I want my gratitude for God's kindness to compel me to live a godly life. Welcome, Lord Jesus. Can we just pray and bless your family right now? Lord, I want to pray for all those that we love and care about, whether they're in our home or away from us. It could be our spouse, our kids. It could be our mom and dad. It could be people near us, some people far away. Some are Christians and some don't know you. But I just pray that the love of God would just reach out to all my family. You just pray that right now. Just envision them in your mind. That the love of God would go to my, my family, those I love and those I care about, those I may be at odds with. Particularly, Lord, for those that may not know you, Lord, that you're just going to reach out to them and somehow you'll use me. But I bless them today. I pray that my home is a place of peace. Come on, pray that right now. My home is a place of peace. The turmoil and strife ceases. I pray you give me a greater love for my spouse. If I'm a child, I pray that I'd have the greater ability to honor my parents. If I'm a dad, I pray, Lord, that I would have a greater capacity to love my wife and love my children. We welcome you, Lord. We sure do love you today. We just say welcome. You're such a good God. Hallelujah. And everybody said? Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. He is worthy of our praise. You may be seated. Hey, you know, something really special can happen. We just take a minute or two and just be close and quiet with God. And, uh, you know, I have time with God every day of my life. But uh, I think my most special time is when I'm with you, the family of God, when we're worshiping and praying and just kind of talking and even having some fun. Hey, turn your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. How many were here last week? Let me see your hand here. All right, looks like about half of us. How many slept in last week? Let me see your hand. Very proud of it too, huh? Well, I, I wish I'd have slept in. It was, I got tired last week. I don't like daylight savings time. Anyway, last week we started a new series called Balancing Act. Can you say that with me? Balancing, Balancing Act. And what it's about is it's about uh, it, it's us trying to find the balance of how to be a spiritual person in a material world. And it's a challenge. If you can see the guy on the screen here, it's a, it's a true, true story, true picture. Uh, back in June of 2012, this guy, Nick Walinda, he's in his early 30s. He uh, literally walked across Niagara Falls. 
Niagara Falls. He's 200 feet above the falls, and uh, it's the highest waterfall in North America. Uh, the wind was, I may even show you a video next week because it kind of captures the sense of it, but I mean the wind is blowing and it's raining, and this guy's got a stick, and he's just going across doing this balancing act to keep from falling. And that's kind of a picture I want you to have in your mind as we talk about material and spiritual things. I want to read the scripture that we looked at last week. I very much encourage you to take a peek at that message, uh, very foundational for your life and, uh, and, and these series, this series. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, uh, Paul starts with somewhat of a warning. And he says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, clearly, he's not saying money is evil. We're told to pray each day that God would give us daily bread. We'll see in a moment that he says that God gives you things to enjoy. So, you know, as a Christian, I can enjoy life. I can be blessed. I can have nice things. I can prosper. But something can happen in our hearts, and he called it the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When that happens, somehow we tend to love our possessions and our things more than we love God, and our life gets out of balance. That's what happened to Judas Iscariot for some crazy reason that I cannot imagine. This man traded a handful of silver coins, and he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. So somehow if we get out of whack and out of balance, we get in trouble. And the Scripture reaffirms this uh, because it said, Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So this is a warning because if we get out of balance, our life can really get messed up. This love of money is about envy. It's about greed. It's about telling lies to get more money, stealing to get more money. Uh, people doing things, let me know, that end you on the front page of the newspaper, or if nothing else, at least in our conscience and with God, that we know it, that our heart is shifting away from God. So the great dilemma that I think the modern-day Christian in America faces is we need things to, to pay our bills, uh, to meet needs. Uh, we desire things to enjoy a life with and have fun, all of which is good. But we don't want to let uh, that desire become so compelling that it causes our spiritual life to suffer because there can be consequences. Now, here's kind of the balance. Verse 17, he went on to say this. He said, teach those who are rich in this world. And as I said last week, that's all of us as we compare ourselves to the rest of the world. And the first thing he said was, don't be proud. And pride is a sense of being self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. I've got enough money for the future. Uh, I'm better than other people because of, uh, I have more than they do. That's pride. But then he says, don't trust in your money because it's unreliable. But your trust should be where? In God. See, it's almost subconscious when we just, that plastic card, whether it's a debit or credit, and it works and works and works and works and works and works and works. And, works. and somehow we can forget that God is the one that's behind the deposit. Come on. That's why I suggested last week when you make your deposits in the bank, just pause to say a little prayer and say, thank you, Lord, that you provided this for me. If you get a bonus, if you get, you know, a sale comes through, just pause in a quiet moment and say, thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. Uh, our trust is in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Hence, as a Christian, if I'm able to do nice things, if you're able to, you know, take a nice vacation or drive a nice car, own a nice home, you, you shouldn't be apologetic for it. it. Scripture says it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So God gives us things to enjoy, but if you're not careful, your desire for enjoyment can cause you to do this and get out of balance. See? So here's the balance. He said, tell them to use their money. That is, to after you've met your needs and having some fun, you make sure you save some to use it to do good. And then he tells us what that means. We should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, 
always being ready to share with others. And verse 19 says that somehow God is watching and God will reward us because we're storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so we may experience true life, or the New King James says eternal life. Not that we're buying our way into heaven, but rather that God is watching us and God rewards us as we do good things with the money He entrusts to us. Now, that's kind of a background, and that'll be the foundation for this series. But today I want to talk about what the Bible says about prosperity. Uh, biblical prosperity, and it's a great scripture we'll begin with, Deuteronomy 8.18, and I want you to say this with me. The Bible says that we are to, come on, let's say it, remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, and again now, um, when God gives us the ability, that simply means that God is the one that can help me get a raise, God is the one that can help me get a better job. God is the one that can help me start a business. God is the one that can help me cause my business to grow. God is the one that can cause my investments to grow. And God is the behind uh, allowing people to have wealth. Again, wealth is not a bad thing, but we don't pursue wealth. We pursue God, and wealth comes as we pursue God. Now, uh, I, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been in, uh, in ministry 30 years, and I have heard a lot of what I believe was false teaching or abuse when it comes to money. Uh, my message is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, you're not going to find here ABCD. If you do these four things, I promise you tomorrow you'll be you know, driving a better car. No, you're not going to hear that. But we're going to look at some biblical principles. I also don't believe that God wants every Christian to be driving a Rolls Royce. But what I do believe is that if you will apply biblical principles wherever you are financially today, tomorrow you'll be better. I mean, if you're working at minimum wage at seven and a quarter and you apply what I'm talking about today, it won't be long before you'll be making eight, nine, ten, and beyond. If you're making $15 an hour, come and know with the blessing of the Lord, 15 can become 20. See, when you apply God's principles, if you've started a business, how many know God can open up a new line of business and you're hiring people? Uh, I mean, God can take a situation that's going the wrong way and turn it and make it go the right way because God is the one that helps us. And if we're honest in this life, every one of us needs and desires to prosper. Because, listen, if you've got kids, how many know you need more money than you got? I can just tell you that. I've got kids. Uh, if you're married, you need more money than you've got. I mean, and if, you're, and if you're a Christian who really believes in God's kingdom, you need more money than you've got. I mean, if I had a ton of money right now, I mean, I would do several things I'd do with it. But one thing I'd do is I'd be heavily promoting a movie called God's Not Dead. I, listen, I, I saw an early preview. Uh, the guy that produced it uh, showed it to a group of pastors. It, and I say this, uh, seriously, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's coming to the screen. It's just life-changing. So money can do good things. And uh, let me share some things with the, in the Bible that will hopefully put some more in your pocket. But as it gets there, that you know what to do with it, that you don't let it drive you out of balance, but you live a balanced life when God blesses you. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you, about half a dozen things, they're worth writing down or download from your iPad and look, you can look at the notes, they're, they're already there. And here's the first one, and I think it's most important, is that God blesses people who have godly character. Let me say it again, the operative word here is the word character. God blesses people who have godly character. Well, look at a man named Job. When you think of Job, you think instantly of here's a guy who had great, great trouble. But the life of Job, Job lived a long, long time, and scholars believe that the troubles in his life that the book is about were only two or three years. He was a blessed man before that, and after that he was blessed with literally twice as much. And listen to his reputation. 
Now, Job chapter 1, verse 1, we're given a picture of what's going on in the unseen spiritual world, the world that we can't see where demons and Satan himself lives. And the Lord and Satan are having a conversation. And Satan has been roaming across the earth. And God asked him, have you noticed my servant Job? And listen to this. He's the finest man in all the earth. Now listen, he was not the finest man because of the clothes he wore or because of the camel that he drove. Here's what he says. He was finest because he is a blameless man. Say it with me. A man of complete integrity. This is why God said he's a fine guy. And you're going to see what God does. Uh, blameless man of integrity simply means this. Job was honest. He told the truth. He didn't take advantage of people. He didn't lie. He treated people justly. He paid people fairly. He had a good reputation with God and man. He was an honest guy in his dealings with people. It got God's attention, and he acted that way because he feared God. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. The fear of God is a healthy thing. It's a missing thing because it's hard to understand. How can I love and fear God at the same time? I mean, well, you can. Uh, your parent, you, now fear it, it has to do more with respect than being scared of. But our respect for God causes us to stay on the right path. And when we do, listen to what verse 9 says. Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, but Job's got a good reason to fear you. Hey, this is good now. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home. That is, you've kept him from whatever it may be, from disease, from lawsuits, from losses, from things breaking, from thieves stared down, home burning down. You put a wall of protection around him, and you made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. And again, when I read a phrase like, look how rich he is, don't think Rolls Royce, okay? Just think, I can be better than I am today. If I live the way God would have me to be, that God can prosper the work of my hand. Now, the Bible is filled with many godly, prosperous people. Uh, just some of the Old Testament, Abraham, David, Solomon. In the New Testament, Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy enough to loan Jesus a tomb for a couple days, praise the Lord. Uh, several of his apostles owned businesses. There were women in the Bible who supported Jesus in his group. Now, this is a big one. Luke 8, verse 2, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, many others were contributing from what? Their own resources. They didn't get a government grant. They're contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Now, there was a bunch of those disciples. This is not necessarily, it could have been, but most likely not just the 12. Jesus would have up to 70 people following him at a time when he would send them out. Well, they've got families. Peter and John, they left their fishing business. Their wives have to eat. So we're talking about a fairly large sum of money needed for a three-year period of time, come on, for Jesus to be able to do his ministry. And God blessed people to do that. Now, I believe it was, back to Job, it was his character that got God's attention very clearly. How many have kids, and if your kids get all A's, what do you want to do? You want to reward them. I even know kid, uh, parents that will say, this is your job, and I'll give you so much money for an A, so much money for a B, et cetera, et cetera, and you pay me if you get a C or a D. Are you with me? But, but it's your job, and I'm not going to just give you stuff as an allowance. I mean, know we take care of our kids, but if they just get used to somebody giving all the time and they don't have responsibility back, sooner or later they're going to get older and they're going to look for the next handout. All right. Uh, godly character makes us trustworthy. Scripture says if God can trust us with a little, He'll give us more. Now hear me on this. This is your character. Luke 16 echoes this. If you're faithful in... Little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. 
So why in the world would God give me more if he can't trust me with what I've got? Now, I can tell you over 30 years in ministry, I have seen a lot of Christians melt down over money. I've seen a lot of Christians when they were on the... You're quiet with me this morning. Uh, there's no agenda at the end of the message. There's no offering or anything like that, okay? I'm just trying to help you this morning. Uh, there's no hook at the end. This is just your life. I don't want your money. Keep your money. Do some good with some of it. How'd you get me off on that? Where were we? Yeah, but I was going beyond that. Oh, I know. I've seen a lot of Christians get destroyed by money. When you didn't have anything, how many know you got to pray when you don't have anything? I mean, did you know that in James, the Bible says the poor are rich in faith? That doesn't extol poverty, but it simply means if you don't have anything, you're desperate. But I've watched people move from being desperate, and even in their desperate condition, supporting every missionary that came through. And then when they begin to prosper and get wealth, it was almost like, now I've got it, and I've got to keep it, and I've got to hold on to it. So wealth can mess us up if we're not careful. Uh, but, but trustworthy people, if God can trust you, how do you think the supervisor at work got there? It's he or she showed themselves that they were faithful and could be trusted. You're not going to give somebody the keys and the checkbook to the company and the company credit card if you can't trust them. But as people are elevated, character will elevate you. Now, let me say this kind of as a side. Wicked people prosper too. Wicked people, and sometimes more than us. Wicked people prosper, but here's the deal. It's not lasting. They may get ahead by lying, by stealing, by cheating, you know, by fabricating things. But Psalm 37, verse 7 says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. And I'm telling you, if you get what you have by cheating, sooner or later it's going to slip through your fingers. And I'll tell you this as a point of reference. I would rather have less in life and have peace at night, come on, in a clear conscience, than I'd have to more by, getting, by telling lies to get it. Because here's the thing. If you lie to get something, you've got to remember the lie that you told and who knows the lie and who is listening on the other end of the line that may know the lie so you keep the lie going. And that's just too much to keep in your head. Come on, I mean, no, a good conscience is a good thing to have. So let's keep going here. Uh, uh, that was the first thing, is your character. Now, this next one is a big one, especially for the Christian. It is that God blesses people who have faith and are willing to obey Him. Now, Genesis 26, verse 1, Isaac is the featured person here in, in, in the biblical story. And the Bible says a severe famine struck the land. This is problems because they don't have mass stores of grain. And, 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 and I mean, there's not irrigation systems for your crops. I mean, things die. People die. It's a big problem when there's a famine. And verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt, which is always a picture of the world system in the Bible. But listen to this. Do as I tell you. Now, here's where faith and obedience come to play. What God is basically saying, you're in a tough spot. And everybody's around you in a tough spot. And I don't want you to just do the safe thing to go to Egypt. Come on, because they watered the land from the Nile River. I don't want you to go down and be a part of the world system. I can do more for you with your grace on my life than you can do for yourself. Don't follow the smart farmers. Don't follow the smart money to Egypt, but you stay here. And verse 3 says, you live here. And, and what does the next phrase say? I will be with you and bless you. Now, I'm telling you, friends, I don't care whether we have recession or depression or downright trouble, God can still bless His people in the middle of trouble. Amen. I will be with you and bless you. And verse 12, here's the, when he exercised faith, he planted his crops that year in a drought. 
Farmers in California now, many are considering not even planting their crops because there's such a bad drought there. They've had so many drought for so many years, which means our prices are going up. But here in the middle of this thing, he planted his crops, and what happened? He harvested a hundred times more than he planted. Why is that? Because God blessed him. In verse 13, he became a very rich man, and his wealth continued to grow in the famine. So the point of this is God can bless us outside of the limitation of our circumstances. But it takes faith and it takes obedience. And here's the deal. You'll always prosper and do better if you do what God says, come on, than just using your best ability, than just consulting the best experts. I'm constantly amazed when we've looked at the last several years at the unemployment numbers as they come out. Every time, the best economists in America are surprised. It's like, it's like almost guessing sometimes, like, even like a weatherman. But I'm telling you, friend, God always knows what he's doing. You know, God can whisper in your ear. Uh, how would it have been if several years ago God told you to buy Apple stock when it was $100 a share and now it's $525 a share? Uh, how would it have been when it got up to $700 and God told you to sell? Or how about, how would it have been if you're in a very secure job and if I can go back maybe 30 years or so, you're in a very secure job and, and things are going well and, and, and there's this company that's just starting up and it's appearing around the country and there's just little bitty stores, they're small retail stores, but uh, they offer more for the money and they're called Walmart. And they're not very big at the time and nobody had ever heard of Sam's and there's no such thing as a superstore. But what if the Holy Spirit would have told you, leave your comfortable job and I want you to go into management at this company. I'm telling you, you'd have been a gazillionaire by now because God knows how to bless His people. Come on. But it takes faith and obedience to step out of the boat. Remember the story? Peter had been fishing all night and caught what? Nothing as a professional fisherman. Jesus just shows up and said, Hey, put your net on that side of the boat and you'll catch a bunch. And they're thinking, Right. He's a preacher and we fished all night. The reason you fish at night is because your nets were so big the fish could see them in the day when the sun was shining. But Jesus is saying to the son, throw your net down there. Lord, I fished all night, but nevertheless, what did he say? At your word, I'll let down the nets. And the Bible said they caught so many fish, the boats were beginning to sink. I'm telling you, faith and obedience can help you as you walk with God in your financial future. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Now let's go further. Here's the third thing. God blesses people who honor him with their first and best. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, the book of Malachi is interesting. The, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It was written to the Jewish people shortly after they had been disciplined uh, in Babylon. In other words, they'd gone Babylon and Assyria because of their sin. And it's almost like God gave them a spanking. And then they come back to their home city, Jerusalem, and lo and behold, they're starting to mess up again. And the whole book of Malachi is about, uh, guys, look, you don't need to be getting divorced. You need to work it out. Uh, your children's future are on stake. All sorts of things had fallen amiss. And one of the things that they had neglected was their support of the house of God through their tithing. And listen to the promise. God said, I want you to bring to the storehouse a full tenth or a tithe of what you earn so there will be food in my house. And this amazing promise, God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty or all-powerful, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings you need. Now, I don't fully know what that means, but how many can say that sounds pretty good? That God literally will say, if you put me first in your financial life, that's the whole premise of the tithe, if you honor me with your first and best, I'll take care of you. 
and it was a promise to a covenant people, is that they would be able to do more with their life with the 90% that God blessed than they could do with 100% on their own. And uh, lest you think I'm just trying to get some money out of your pocket, I don't want your money, I want your heart. And if you think I am, please don't give anything in this church, okay? Until you've hung out around and see that these guys are okay, they're pretty honest people here doing some good things, okay? So I don't want your money, I want you, I want your heart. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, yeah, and until your treasure allows itself to include Christ in his kingdom, God can never do his best in your life. Tithing is not a gimmick. It is not like going to the, to the, to the little quarter thing at Albertsons where you put in and you twist it and out comes the money. It does not work that way. It is not a gimmick. But it is a relationship with God that over time you begin to see the faithfulness of God. I have personally been a tither for 30 years. Uh, every, the, as soon as I get a paycheck, the first thing I do is I write out my tithes to God. Whether I'm at church or not, I write it out and I keep it in my checkbook. I've done that for 30 years. I teach my children. Listen, our church practices that. Every undesignated gift you give to this church, we take 13%. We've tried to move beyond the tithe. We put it in an outreach fund, and we try to give it away. What do I mean by give it away? We give it away to an Indian reservation for supplies. We give it away to Haiti, to a church that's reaching people. You know, We invest it in, in, in outreach in our city because we believe that God blesses those that tithe. I mean, it's a, it's a biblical principle. Here's the fourth one, uh, Proverbs 13. God blesses people who work hard. Let me go ahead and get an amen before we start on this one. God blesses people who work hard. Proverbs 13, 11, it says, Wealth from get-rich-quick scheme disappears quickly. How many have seen, I mean, it's all over late-night TV, uh, but how many have even seen things, signs that say, uh, work 10 hours a week from home and make $1,000 a week? The only way you can do that is if you're a computer hacker, okay, and you're stealing, you know, if you're stealing something. I mean, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. I mean, my, my, uh, my wife's uncle used to say there's no such thing as a free lunch. And we try to get something for nothing, but it's not there. But listen to what the Scripture says, and I want you to say this with me. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And again, don't just think wealth of somebody with a jet plane. Think of you making $12 an hour. $12 an hour over time becomes 15 And 15 over time becomes 20 And 20 becomes 25 And you say, yeah, well, other people have that to them too. Yeah, but you're doing it because you're honoring the Lord. And you have a source and supply that's not going to dry up if the world dries up. Come on. If the company closes its doors or whatever, God will just shift and he'll take care of us another way. Now, Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning and hard work leads to what? So, if somebody says, would you like to prosper, and you say yes, they say, great. Well, then give some thought to figuring some things out, and then work the plan, work hard. Well, that doesn't go along real good with sleeping in till 10 o'clock in the morning. Do, do you realize hard work is what caused America to become the world's economic leader? It was started in the Industrial Revolution. And do you know what the fuel of the Industrial Revolution was? It was the Protestant work ethic. You see, America, uh, unlike what uh, historical revisionists try to tell you that God had no place in our founder history, listen, that's one of the biggest lies I've ever heard in my life. How in the world, if you've ever been to our nation's capital, or just Google it, you know, today, about Christian scriptures or Bible scriptures in Washington and places like that? It's everywhere. It's inscribed everywhere because godly people gave us this great nation. And these godly people are what we've come to call capitalists. 
Some people think that's a terrible word, but basically a capitalist is just somebody who works hard, come on, and should have godly character so that as they prosper and grow, all the people that work for them prosper and grow. I mean, the, uh, Mr. Ford that created the Ford manufacturing process for cars, he wanted to make sure he priced his cars so every one of his employees could drive one. I mean, he paid him a living wage. So listen, you get people that are prospering and growing, everybody's going to get better in life. Well, it was based on hard work, but in the last couple decades, we have had an America that's shifting away from work. Come on. And somehow now the government wants to be able to take care of us. And let me say this as we get started. I am proud to live in a nation that if I am disabled and cannot work, that there's something to take care of me. I am grateful for a safety net that if I cannot put food on my table, that I can be able to supply for my family. But that was never intended to, listen, to go out buy soda pops and beer. One sad thing in America today is there's more people on welfare today and more people on disability than ever in America's history. And the problem is we cannot sustain that as a nation, but here's a problem for an individual. And again, let me say this. If you're in a place where you need some help, thank God there's some help. But the problem is if you develop a mindset not based on work, and did you know the last time our government visited welfare, they took the responsibility to work out of it. I believe it was placed in as an attachment to welfare under President Clinton, recently taking out, and now it's just kind of a giveaway. But the problem is they're only going to give you so much. And just like with health care subsidies, everybody's trying to get health insurance. I don't know what the number is for you, but let's say it's twenty-five or 30000 and you'll get a large subsidy. But if you make 31000 you don't get anything. So the incentive is to make sure you don't make over that amount of money. And what happens is you become lazy. Listen now. You lose ambition, and ambition is the drive for us to get ahead in life. I'm telling you, ambition is the drive to get ahead, and work is not a four-letter cuss word. I'm preaching better than your amening now. Come on now. I realize we live in this world today, and nobody wants to just get up in the morning and work hard, especially if you're a kid. And I can tell you, I was a kid at one time. I was raised on a farm, and my dad did not give me an opportunity. When it was time to get up, he'd holler at me one time. The second time, he'd go to pulling the covers off and yanking me. It was time to get up and go to work. I tried to instill that in my children, and I'm telling you what, it is hard to teach children how to work if you're living on a farm in Wake Village. Come on, you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, it's just a little bit different, but I can remember having just outright battles with my son over picking up gumballs in our park and raking up, uh, raking up pine needles. I just thought we'd have to call the police one time it got so upset out there. But somehow he did it in Jesus' name. And one day, it's about, he's 18, getting ready to go to college, and uh, he'd worked himself. He got his ACT score enough, so he got a full ride at SAU. And uh, uh, he was out here. I, I hired him to pick up some rocks. We'd landscaped the front of the church years ago, and, and they quit with the rock, you know, they, the rock guy was done. And he was cleaning up. It was an August afternoon. It was every bit of 105 degrees, and it was pretty hot out there. I was the evil father making him work, okay? Well, lo and behold, a landscaper that happened to have a company in uh, uh, Magnolia, Arkansas, was doing our work, and she drove up, and she watched him work for about five minutes, and he told her where he was going to school. And just like that, she said, I'll give you a job. I'll give you a job. And he started working, not picking up rocks, but in the business office, which opened a door for him where he was able to work for a CPA. And today he's got a CPA license and an MBA, and he's set for life. So why does that happen? It started because some mean father made him pick up gumballs and get out of bed before 10 o'clock in the morning. 
I am preaching so much better than some of you are amening this morning. <laughs> Let me give you a couple more. We'll quit. God blesses us for lots of reasons. Here's a simple one. It's called diligence. Proverbs 12, 27, it says, The diligent or the persistent man will do what? Get Here's why. Because diligent people don't quit. And you're taking a class to improve yourself, but it's hard because it's after work and all that, and you just, you know what, I just quit. Here's what you're basically saying. I'm just going to trust God now. No, God may be saying, I want you to be persistent. Come on. I want you to finish the class. I want you to stay with it. You may be in a job that you hate and don't like being there, but fortunately you prayed about it, and the Lord sent you there, and the Lord's not told you to go. How many know you don't ever want to leave somewhere that God put you? Because what you don't know is that you're there living godly, being honest. The owner is watching you. And what you don't know, in two weeks, the supervisor and manager is about to quit. And he's going to have to replace him with somebody that knows the system. Come on. And it just happens to be you that's about to be driving the company car. But if you don't have persistence, then wealth will be elusive. Everybody say the Bible works every time you try it. Here's another one, Proverbs 22.4. True humility and fear of the Lord leads to what? Riches, honor, and long life. Now, how could a humble person get riches? It's because God can trust them. A humble person is the one that realizes everything I have is a gift from God. And if God puts it in my hand, that doesn't mean it's mine. I'm a steward and a manager. Stay with me for God. And if God gives me some money, here's what I need to say. Lord, I've honored you with that 10%. It's yours. Now, what do you want to do with the rest? Do you have the boldness to be? Because what if, what if you're thinking, ooh, Six-wheeler, turkey hunting, need one. And they're not bad, okay? But what if the Holy Spirit says, church, Haiti, roof, rain? And when you do it, guess what? Money is nothing to God. Listen, God's got so much gold that he paves the... He uses like asphalt in heaven. I mean, I mean, it is not a problem from him, but what he's looking for is obedient people he can trust. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I got to get out of here. You guys, I'm telling you. It's daylight savings time. It's that hour you, uh, we lost. Here's the last one. Generosity. Proverbs 11:25. And it's a very simple statement. The generous will do what? The New Century Version says, whoever gives to others will get richer. Now, how can that be? Those who help others will themselves be helped. How can that be? The God factor. Now, let me ask you a serious question, and I'm going to raise my hand first. How many people are on the stingy side in this room? Let me see your hand. The rest of you are just generous people, huh? <laughs> Praise God. Where are we going to lunch today? <laughs> i got to be honest. I'm a little on the stingier side. I made a confession last night I can't believe I made. My wife's not here. I'm going to do it again. I told her one month that we were out of money to spend things, and I ordered something in the hunting catalog. I, I, know, I know you want to find another church right now, but it's too late to get there before 12, so you're going to have to go next week. But I want to tell you something that got my attention. And I shared this last week, but I want to share it again. Larry Myers, our friend from Mexico, his ministry is helping the poor in Mexico. That's what he does. And uh, I just didn't know that he did it in America, too. And when he was in our church, I was not here the, the Sunday he preached. 
But one of the guys told me he was praying for a couple. It was a homeless couple that just got married. And uh, with nobody looking and no fanfare, he pulled a $100 bill out of his pocket and put it in his and said, you know, God's going to help you. And then just, you know, I, I just thought, why can't I do that? Now, I don't have to start with 100 but when I do my budget, when I go by the ATM machine, get my cash for the week or whatever, why can't I set aside a 5 a 10 or a 20 or something just to put in God's little giveaway fund to learn to be generous? Because I'm telling you, friend, it could change our lives. Come on. It could change somebody else's life if God might trust me with something having to do with generosity. And guess what? It'll come back to you because you're going to reap what you sow. Give the Lord a good hand, and I'm, I, I, I'm done today. All right, next week I think we'll continue this, and I think I'll entitle the message, Danger, uh, The Love of Money Can Destroy Us. I want to spend a little time with Judas and ask the question, how in the world could a man who saw Jesus do miracles, raise the dead, and all he did, how could that man betray Jesus for a handful of coins? The secret, my friend, is something captured his heart other than God. We'll visit that next week. But I'm going to close and ask you this question, and then we'll pray and go. But what do we do when God makes us prosper? Because here's the deal. I don't care if you're young or old. If you apply the principles from the Bible, how many know it always works? If I apply these principles, what am I going to do when God prospers me? Well, here's what I suggest to you. Just do what the Bible taught us to do. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud. In other words, when that money or that check is in your hand, don't just say, looky, looky what I did. Say, thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. Don't trust in your money because it's unreliable. But trust in God, who richly gives us all we need to enjoy. So meet your needs, have some fun, but then do this with your wealth. Verse 18, use your money to do good. Can you say that with me? Use your money to do good. Take some portion of it. Invest in people. Invest in God's kingdom. Do we do good by being rich in good works, generous to those in need, and ready to share with others. And the Bible says if we do that, we are storing up treasures in heaven. And God will reward us one day. Give him a good hand. He's worthy of all our praise. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to have a last closing song. But I want to ask you, don't turn off just yet. In just a minute, you can go back in the cafe, get something to eat, eat it in there, eat it outside. You can pick up to-go containers in the lobby. But the next maybe three minutes, just give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you. Because a sermon is not just intended to be informational. It's intended to be acted on. The Bible says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. So here's my question to you. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about this message? What is he saying to you? Is there something that's in your character that's stopping you from being blessed? Do you have faith? Do you quickly obey God, or is it hard for you to take that risk of faith? Do you honor God with your first and best? Is hard work a part of your life? Are you persistent? Are you humble? Do you trust God? Are you generous? I don't know what it may be, but as we sing this song, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would show us what we need to do to get in a place for God to bless us. I give myself away I give myself 